Just before we begin, a quick note that we have a new subscription feed. Some apps update automatically, but if yours hasn't or you want to be sure, you can just search us up in your podcatcher or pop over to our new website at anchor.fm slash podploitation. Now, back to that Australian show. Please note, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders are advised that this podcast may reference and include audio of people who are deceased. Welcome to Podsploitation, the Podcast. <laughs> I'm Darren. I'm November. And I'm Callum. And this one's my fault. <laughs> the next few shows, we're going to have dealer's choice with three shows, three Podsploiteers, and each one of us shall pick one to bring to the table. Not necessarily our favourite or the one we think of the best, just one we wanted to drop in and review. And first up, shall we hear in Callum's choice, which will be Time Guardian from 1987. Yes. Not uh, time. What was the one I was? I, time stalkers. I, time stalkers, which I kept misidentifying it as, which is actually a <clears throat> not terrible American movie about a guy who is a is massively into the Wild West and buys a whole bunch of old tin type photos and then sees one guy over there with a three fifty seven Magnum and goes back and saves the Old West. But by the so, classic, is it exploitation question? That one's just probably no. No, no not even close. Not but even this close. one went through a few different titles. It was going to be Time Riders and Time Wars at different times. This is true. And as it turned out, Time Guardian, which they thought was good, had got used by someone else later on. Anyway, because I mean, Time and Guardian, as it is, is yeah. Is, yeah. And in the Philippines, it was released as Space Trap. Oh. Are you serious? Despite the lack of space, space and or traps. Traps. <laughs> Holy crap, that's yeah. one of my favourite novels as a kid. Space Trap. Space Trap. Yeah. Never it's heard by, of it. In fact, if you actually reach just to your left there, Daria, you will actually see the book Space Trap oh, is space sitting trap there. by Monica Hughes. Monica Hughes. There we go. Huh. That's about a zoo on a, another planet. They've set up a whole bunch of traps to catch people and they end up basically becoming slavers and it's aimed at these sort so of young adults. So a human adult. zoo. No, no, no. So it's aliens and a human exploring crew, the daughter falls into the trap and she ends up becoming a scientific curiosity that an alien investigates. Like an exhibit? Sort of an exhibit, yes. Some right. of them become exhibits, some of them become scientific curiosities, and then she teams up with a couple of other people that have fallen into the space trap to try and get to being sent back home. There you go. Yeah, it's really cool. None of which we are discussing today. None no. of which. <laughs> I'm trying to draw any parallels in my head and there are none. Yeah. No, so just... First we'll say... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do the script. I didn't do the script. You didn't make this film. I didn't do it's the acting. It's not all your fault. Even the writer didn't do the script. No. That's so true. This was a movie literally inspired by a rock. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a, a little more detail to begin with. So right. 1987, The Time Guardian. Yeah. And it was a movie, uh, John Baxter, who was working on Mad, Mad Max, Max 2. 2, was out in the wilderness doing a lot of filming, and he saw an incredibly interesting rock formation out near, I should have written this part down, because... South Australia. South Australia. I want to say the Pinnacles, but it's not the Pinnacles. No, but it does start with P, doesn't it? Yeah. And was inspired by this rock, and so he actually went away with somebody else and put together a plot about landing many, um, a city on this rock formation. I wonder how many movies there are out there where someone just drove along and saw a nice-looking rock and wrote a movie to go around that. Before or after Star Trek wrestled lizard people with <laughs> Captain Kirk by um, Velasquez Rocks? Vasquez Rocks. Vasquez Rocks, yes. <laughs> 
And, of course, you've got Ayers Rock in the middle, which we will eventually be talking about when we discuss the man from, man Hong, from Kong. Hong Kong. Yeah. Oh, it's going to appear in other things. Oh, yeah, it's in Pandemonium. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> in a nice bit of awareness, the cover to Pandemonium used to list Ayers Rock as one of the movie's features and later editions listed as Uluru. Nice. Yeah. That's actually really cool. I remember doing in the 80s, actually, in fact, in 1988, my school organised a bus trip for a bunch of us to go pretty huge. Yeah, it was a year six thing. And I remember actually being driven around the entire outside of Uluru and them asking at one point to stop taking photos because it was a particular section of Uluru was sacred. So we, and then we climbed it. Yeah, of course you did. Was Was there the rumour that there's a Coke machine on top? That was always a thing in my school. Oh, I don't remember that. Is there just a really long extension cord? It's a vague memory, possibly. But my school was somehow even stupider than yours. Actually, no, they were on par. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so that was entirely unrelated to any film. Yes. Uh, But good to know Callum saw a rock once. That's nice. I did see a rock. Yeah. (laughs) Should we watch the trailer? We should watch the trailer. Let's watch the trailer. Alrighty. Look at that column. It's compensating, you know. The 24th century, the last city on a ravaged earth desperately fights to escape the cold-blooded Jendiki, vengeful time travelers from another age. Stay back, please, unless you wish to join your ancestors in the past. You've been reading too much science fiction. Too much what? When the timeline opens, all hell breaks loose. This is not a skirmish. It is the whole war. I mean, I mean it's that the trailer editor is really trying to make this look Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a battle. Yeah, that, that was... Out there. Soon. Maybe here, too. Okay. That looks history. a lot like he will mess his head to explode. As well as the past. The Time Guardian. Pray he's not too late. Well, they say the fourth millennium in the movie. Oh, she does, doesn't oh, she? Oh, yeah. That's, what, that's yeah. what they say they picked up Ballard. 4,000 and... No, oh, the, yeah, no, that's four, right, four, yeah. The fourth millennium would be 3,000 and... That's right, because he was a feral. Yeah. Like Mad yeah. Max. Mad Max, which was actually one of the nods to Mad Max in the movie. So this movie starts with a scroll at a la Star Wars. Actually, a bit more a la Blade Runner because it just goes straight up the screen. Yeah, the really cool cause... scroll was Star Wars. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying that Star Wars didn't do this better. They did. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> By the year 4039, Earth was a scarred and desolate battlefield. Hordes of armoured robots uh, create... Armoured with a U. Not on this. Really? That's interesting because in the actual scroll that I saw, it was armoured with a U. Well, you see, we were commenting on it. No, yeah, well, no, because of course it wouldn't be. Hordes of armoured robots (laughs) created by man in the previous century were sweeping the planet, brutally destroying everything in their path and threatening mankind with extinctions. Is that a typo? Extinctions. Extinctions, plural. One city attempted to escape their onslaught by unravelling the secrets of time and travelling back in a desperate search for a safer age. They succeeded, and time was their friend until the arrival yet again of their relentless enemy. Wow. 
Yes. This, this is where so, I was trying to hold it together already. between what the preamble scroll says and what actually happens in the movie. Yeah, not yeah. That, and in actual fact, is... they just use so many words to say the one thing, like the poster for this film. Time is just about the only thing he won't waste. Like I know they're trying to do Terminator and yeah, great one liners, but stop putting that many words into it. Yeah, it's like massively bad writing of the classic kind of golden era of sci-fi terribleness. Yeah, I, I love it. If it had had an ounce, the tiniest little bit of self-aware humour, it might have been a classic. A lot of people actually point to the fact that the original Star Wars, if you pay attention to Harrison Ford's acting, he's acting in a way that almost makes you realise he knows that it's all a bit cheesy and he's giving kind of mini nods to the audience and stuff. And they would have and loved this to grounds... be, loved Tom Bellens to be Harrison Ford here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or Arnie, but he just did neither. Yeah, he's doing some kind of accent to probably try to uh, sound American and yes. not scare people off. Who the hell are you? My name's Ballard. Sorry. Get away from me. It's all right. I'm trying to protect you. How do I know that? I'm getting out of here. Not such a good idea. You're a lot safer with me. Really? Really. Okay, I'm going to plant a flag right now mm-hmm. because I want to say I love Tom Berlinson. Snow- I Manf- learned some mix- interesting stuff about him just today. Yeah, Man from Snow River, Man from Snow River 2, two Fun of my up. all-time favourite movies. The guy is fantastic. I've seen interviews with him. He has basically become the voice of Frank Sinatra. He is a... So there's a great Aussie film called The Night We Called It A Day and we can't cover it because it's not exploitation, but it's really wonderful. Yeah, and it's about a time in history when Frank Sinatra actually visited Australia and was a douche. For all intents and purposes, he came in, treated the whole country very backward, and he insulted the... a reporter. Yes, and then got the unions offside. Yeah, and what you didn't want to do in nineteen sixties, eighties, was eighties. Okay, was... Oh no, it was pre Bob Hawke being here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... He was the union leader at that stage. Yeah. So 70s. Why maybe. not? What you wanted to avoid doing at that time was pissing off the unions anyway. And he ended up pretty much being held hostage in his own hotel. Yeah. No and food, no water, no plumbing. Nope. And for the sequences, the very brief sequences where he was singing in the movie. That Tom voice Berlinson is Tom Berlinson. And there's a bit of a history in that one because Tom Berlinson absolutely loved uh, the crooners in particular. He loved Sinatra to the point that he wrote a song about him. And they were doing a TV miniseries in the States about Sinatra's life. And he went over and he performed in front of his daughter. Oh, I wish I could remember her name now. Off the top of my head, I can't. Yeah. Nancy. Nancy. Nancy Sinatra. And That's she not par- the wife? I think Nancy's the daughter. Cool. Okay. Mm. Uh, and she basically listened with uh, tears in her eyes. Uh, and at the end of it, decided that Tom Burlington was the voice. And he is amazing. He's fantastic. I love the guy. He's wonderful. But not in this. All of which is the lead into this. And I'm going to I'm going to, to mark that a significant portion of what made him so bad in this is the material he was given because, oh, holy script. shit, the dialogue. <laughs> but, it, like, the script was rewritten, like, like large chunks of it were rewritten a bunch of times. The budget got cut. The schedule got cut. And, yeah, he was not given good material to begin with, but, dude, was chewing the scenery. Holy crap. <laughs> There is, I mean, I think his very first line is a 17 testicle delivery of the word now to cut out your black heart. Oh, uh, yeah, and especially the first quarter or so, it's, he doesn't play by the rules. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, even though he's apparently <coughs> the best of them, according to Carrie Fisher. Oh, Petra no, that was the best the of stage. men, not the best of warriors oh, or whatever. Yeah. So, Still, low fucking bar. Oh, my God. So, yeah, we are talking... 
bit of this is a hot mess. This is a hot mess. And and this is why it got 4.3 stars on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes got 13%. Yeah. And I, just before actually, because I, I was, like I said, I was the one who, I was like, sorry, like Daria said, I was the one who actually nominated this because we have to see, because I was reminded about this movie after we'd recorded a couple of episodes ago. And I was like, oh my God, we need to do this movie. I remember it. In my head, I could remember enjoying it as a kid. And I also at the same time realised with, with adult brain that it was probably terrible. And you did just check in with your brother. I just checked in with my brother. Shout out to Ewan, who does listen to our podcast, that we did unironically used to have this on steady rotation for hiring back when you would hire movies we'd watch this maybe once every six months or so maybe even a little bit less it would be part of those every now and again we'd hire it and watch it again we enjoyed it as kids well it's it's probably great when you're like 11 yes and it's 1980 out there but 11 year old you probably reckon they were great special effects because a lot of them a lot of them Still were. really yeah, not the bad. Effect yep. quality are pretty good. That's, yeah. So I'm. It's really impressive. That it did manage. Yeah, I'm going to say that I think, having remembered the sort of big movies of that era, and more importantly, the sort of the second tier movies of that era. So, so we're talking 1987 for Time Guardian. We have already had Aliens, Terminator, Crocodile Dundee, Dune. And doesn't this lean on all of them? It, Sorry, go on. Okay. Yep. Yes. Uh, Dune, Blade Runner, Last Starfighter, Tron, Enemy Mine, and The Wraith. Now, there's a real cross section oh, yeah. there. These are all just movies that it so they're reminded the me of. Preceding ones. They're the pre- the, the, these are all been movies that are out by now. So that this yeah. movie, at some point or other, almost looks like every single one of them. Yeah. It, um, oh, you missed out Star Wars Star Trek. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, sorry, yes. All three of the original Star Wars movies had dropped by then and a couple of the Star Treks had dropped too. And I'm going to say this: the movie's budget was $8 million, which in the in 1987 in Australia was huge. It's ridiculous. Like, for context, the last movie we did was number 96, and that was, I recall, $100,000. And I realise there's a difference because mm. that was done off a TV show. They had the existing actors and just had to do up the sets. But and there were no special effects. Fuckload difference. It, it is. So Crocodile Dundee, which was only a year before this, its entire budget was $8.8 million. Now, you are shitting me! Admittedly, Crocodile Dundee does not use lasers, but if you think about the quality difference between this and Crocodile Dundee and it's only $0.8 million, Ouch. Yeah. Because didn't... Okay, so oh. the woman in this who is not Carrie Fisher... Ah, yes. The, I believe it now. I'm going to pronounce her surname Annie. as Coghill. So Nikki Coghill. I found, yeah, I don't found know if it's Coghill or Coghill. Coghill. But the character is Annie. Every other person who I've seen with that surname pronounces it as Coghill. So okay, cool. Coghill. We'll go with that. Yeah. But did she not instantly remind you of uh, the woman in Crocodile Dundee? Yeah. Linda Strafoski. Linda Kozlowski. Linda Kozlowski, yes. There is a very definite era. The high shorts, the blundstones, the socks. the. We'll get into wearing white in the desert yeah. later. <laughs> and this one... Seems to have been a huge film. The The effects were really awesome. All of the props and everything were pretty much built for the movie, which if you're sort of getting into the later films in, in the into the 2000s, a lot of movies share props. You see the same ones popping up again and again in a lot of films in the 80s. There's a particular laser thing. In fact, I think Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, even with Doctor Who, it's just, like, stuff you'd be found in the back of the BBC. Yeah. And an airplane or flying high, too, depending on whether you're which side of the pond you're in, uh, the one that's set in space, there's actually a joke about it where the captain on the moon base, played by James Kirk, William Shatner, goes into a room to ask what a particular piece of equipment is, and it's just lights that are going backwards and forwards. And he says, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they have a machine which just shoots lights backwards and forwards? That machine's used in, like, every American movie that Star Wars... (laughs) 
space movie there is. They went full on. There are suits of armor. There's guns. There's explosions. Foam there's costumes. Big, yep. Huge ball set things, glowing lights that look like there's something out of Tron Two. Yeah, there's yeah. some really interesting set pieces. Yeah, they were make they were trying to make a massive sci-fi film, and one of the reasons why I was really comfortable with this being an exploitation, it's absolutely a genre film. It's an oh yeah, it is a full on eighty sci-fi film. It's in fact all of the eighty <laughs> sci-fi films. <laughs> but this one happens to be Australian. Well, I, I noticed in terms of the props and sets that in the main control room in the city, you've got this piece of the wall just spraying steam because that's what you have in science fiction movies of this era. I didn't notice, but Callum pointed out pretty much every time we go back to inside the city, a train goes past. Yeah, we have to cut to the city with a train going past at high speed in one direction. But very quietly, yeah. Yeah, for some reason around this time, people making movies got into heads that trains were futuristic. Yeah, (laughs) or or at least certainly monorails. Monorails were were the shears. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, so should we do a quick proceed of the plot? Sure. what it is? Okay, yep. All right, okay. I'll, all right, I guess I've nominated myself on that one. Pretty much. So what we basically have is in the year 4037. 39? 39. 39. We have uh, what appears to be the last city of human survivors surviving. Uh, there's a <laughs> repair crew out repairing dirt or something, I guess, because they're outside the edge of what, the city. What, they were guards? Yeah, yeah, they were guards watching for the... No, 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 no. They talk about the fact that Tom Burlinson's out with... The, Ballard's out with a repair crew. Oh, I, I thought you meant the one smoking. Oh, no, no, no. So the initial... Oh, sorry, yeah, the two the two people are there as guarding just the perimeter and of the And someone lights a cigarette, so of course they fucking die. Of course. Well, hell, they have to. They, I mean, there wasn't time to have sex. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so they're out there looking for these Jendiki that are initially kind of portrayed as meant to be robots. Uh, a bit like Daleki, Cybermeni sort of things. And then oh, we... what was the the Son... Sontarans. The Sontarans. Yes. Uh, a little later on when you reveal that there's actually cyborgs inside them, they do appear to be Sontarany-ish, yeah. if you know your Doctor Who. Yeah. Well, do Daleks and Cybermen are cyborgs too. Yep. Yeah. And they're very Daleki in that they've got that weird partial thing inside them that's and the voices. not quite human. Yeah. So this is already where I start to get lost because in the preamble it says that these are ro- robots created from the in the previous century, so the 40th century, I guess. Yeah. And so is the news that they're cyborgs new to them after all this time? I, apparently it is. This it, is just you think it would create more of a reaction than it does, which is just, oh, well then. Well, I actually wrote that down because a well, couple no, there of was them... like, no, that's yeah. impossible. The, the council are horrified that they could be. A well, council... yeah, so rather, it doesn't impact the plot going forward. No, not in the slightest. So, okay, I was wrong. They don't go, oh, well then, but as far as the plot's concerned... It makes no difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, in the um, in the but, opening score, in an effort to save themselves, one city has harnessed the power of time travel. But yeah. it doesn't say only one city or the city. It's like no. one city. Yet they assume there are no other cities. Well, that's the thing. They think they're the last surviving city. Yeah. And then as it turns out, we're meant to believe that these Jendiki are actually maybe another city. It's almost kind of Fallout Vault-like. You get the I think they're meant to be underground dwellers. Well, they, they mentioned dwelling underground. Because they're light sensitive. Which is why they can't Just come like out you. here in the daytime. <laughs> are you a Jindiki? Oh, no. Okay, well, you don't have to be extraordinary, you know. Um, did... I was born last century. Uh-huh. <laughs> Time travel. Um, <laughs> well, they, they, they say that this isn't... Well, they say, and they garble a bit on this, this isn't their... It doesn't seem to be native to 4039. No, it, it appears that they land their city. So the city has the ability to travel through time. But I don't know if the city's native of 4039 because they're just, are they just there at the time? Like they just keep hopping through time yeah, to what, avoid yeah, that. That's what Darwin's yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. They keep Eric flinting their way to safe spaces <laughs> and 
The Dendiki apparently also. Well, I say apparently. Quantum leaping. <laughs> the Dendiki also have time travel and follow them because they follow them though. Yeah, they do follow them, and I was and they curious to about explain how they that. follow. They, it was they explained as they punched through time. Yeah, and that didn't really explain anything to me. No. And I have actually have a question about how the orbs turn up first. How do they get the orbs there? Because that's apparently meant to then open the gate to travel through time. But then how do you put the gate there to begin with? Yeah. It's all very upper tone, but... It, it does ask a lot more questions than oh, answers. We, okay, so this is one of the few times, generally speaking, when we record these podcasts, I know Daria often watches it with a housemaid or, or a friend. November and I tend to watch these movies often on our own to begin with, and then maybe once the or twice. Season. And then, yeah, together, usually together one last time before Daria comes around to record here. This was one of the few times we actually watched with an audience. We watched with my girlfriend, Brooke, uh, and also a couple of friends who visited us from Sydney. Hey, uh, Damien and Squeak, if you actually listen to this podcast. Um <laughs> The number of questions that we yelled at the screen while we were watching this <laughs> and a realisation on some of our parts that the writers never went that deep into the thought process behind I mean, what was Or how things? much got cut out? We don't know. Oh, there was a, so there's a sequence where time travel happens and all the water freezes. Which includes a guy who's urinating at the time and the stream freezes and yes. seems to go up his urethra because he's in quite a lot of pain. Yes. Which doesn't slow him down, unfortunately. Mm, that much, unfortunately, and there's... Discussion on that guy too, but uh, yeah, and then one of the one of the uh, Damien actually pointed out. He said, "Hey, so wait a second. So the water freezes outside, but not when it's inside a body. I but if it freezes when it's inside the Coke can yes. or the Coke bottle." And I actually had to just turn and I said, "Dude, I think you're putting way more thought into this particular <laughs> scene. This is just you can just know it was. It would be really cool if water froze when the time travel happens. But nothing else happened in that scene. No. And one of sorry, go you go. Is, is it travel? Guided? Are they picking when they go to? Because given they've said they can change history, that they actually say in so many words, yeah. that at least answers yeah. that. It would seem dropping the city down right next to another town in the highly populated 20th century would be a bad place to go. You'd think if you're trying Where to escape... Where are highly populated? It's one street. No, the, the whole era. Oh, sorry. Right, right. So there are there are loads of people. They're, they know that Jindiki follow them. Yeah. So they say, hey, Jindiki, follow us and start shooting us at us and our ancestors here mm. too. Mm. Why, if they know that last why they're like leaping forward to... 5,000 when there's... That's right. Well, no one, trying to go as far as they can in case maybe the Dendiki can't keep up. Well, hang on a second. Because as, as Ballard says, you know, this is a fight that will change history and history is the future, not just the past. <laughs> Callum, you were doing a rundown of the plot. <laughs> we didn't get very far. <laughs> but I, I did more of a ground of the plot. <laughs> Don't forget, I mean, there's, I mean, and that's not completely unique to shitty. For, well, okay, that's not completely unique to this film. There's that sequence in, I think it's the original Transformers, where they've got the cube and they decide that instead of taking it down to the middle of the desert, they're going to hide the cube in the middle of a giant city. Yeah, where it yeah. could have so, been like in the ocean. Yeah. So, yeah. so thought processes. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. There's, there's very little thought. It's just, I, I really do feel like they bounced to this will be cool and then this will be cool. I'm pretty sure I can imagine the makers of this movie going to bed each night, waking up in the morning and go, oh, my God, it'd be so cool if, if blah, we, and, and just pull the script. Yeah. But that, that, that could be taken care of with one line. It's like, I, we can't choose where the time ray shoots. We just have to grab it when it goes to a place we could land safely. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of one line, I have to point out, and I'm, I, I don't know where you, if we're even going to make it in or where you want to put this, but there is a moment uh, when they go back to the truck to grab the gun and get the ammunition. Now, 
if you pay close attention to a lot of movies, especially movies where there's two characters interacting and they're talking to each other, you will often see the character from the actor or the character that you're filming from behind will often be talking, but you won't actually hear anything because yeah. they're, they're, they're doing a single dialogue. There is a moment where she hands the gun out to Tom Burlinson, to, to Ballard, and he says thank you, but no sound comes out of his mouth. I didn't notice that. And then as he's pulling the gun towards him, he looks at it, and then you have Tom Burlinson's voice go, hmm. It's so weird. And it, in, in a movie full of dog's bollocks, this one stuck out like dog's bollocks. <laughs> I don't know why that one in particular kind and of registered with me. That's when the hilarious. police officer then covers them with his gun, which is pointing several metres over their heads. Yes, <laughs> yes, and delivers one great line about the scum always rises to the surface because that's so incredibly non-secretorial. But we were just talking about the freezing bit. Oh, yeah, freezing yeah, yeah, yeah. section. We have Jake say to this local fella, it's coming again, ain't it, mate? Yeah. And the guy says, this time, Jake, keep your bloody mouth shut. Yes. That's it. That We know nothing else about this freeze event that happens. That's well, uh, it. And, and we know that there is some beautiful rock art, uh, which includes a painting of the city. Yes. So this shit has happened before. Yeah. And this is this gets into a really into. Oh, mm, okay, should we? Should I finish that? Oh, fuck it. We never do it. Should, <laughs> should I finish the plot? Uh, Why do I even ask that question? Okay, happens occasionally. Um, so this is actually something that's that's worth mentioning. This movie, since we started recording, is the first movie that has a representation of Indigenous Australians, and one might argue a positive representation of Indigenous Australians. I would say it's positive. I don't know if it's the first. I don't think it's the first. That was in Bor. There was what, sorry? Boar. Boar. Oh, no, you're right. There was in Boar. Yes. Oh, yes. Boar. Yes. There was, there were, you're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, it was a positive view. However, there is a form of racism, which is the, the mystical racism. It's that yeah. positive swim on. Now, this is, this is well, advanced racism. No, I thought this was going to go there. I thought it was going to be the Indigenous Australians problem solving something the... in the end because they had this previous knowledge. Anyway, you oh, go. No, actually, no. Actually, come to think of it, no, 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 you're absolutely right. So so there's a there's a, a less problematic but still slightly problematic concept of representation of Indigenous or specifically African-American characters in films where they are the almost mystical... African-American? Uh, yeah, in, 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 in film. Not in Australian films. In okay. film in general. Where basically they're the... the oh, the voice of wisdom. The voice of wisdom, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, it is... It's less problematic, and in actual fact, it often is a result of people trying to be trying to do the right thing uh, as hard as Let's they can. Be real fucking carefully. <laughs> no, I'm being very careful. <laughs> now, and it's very, it's most clearly portrayed as when you just simply have a character. It's who like you Morgan consumer. Freeman as God. Wow. Well, well, Morgan Freeman in a lot of things is just super smart. Yeah, but that's because Morgan Freeman rocks. I mean, I'm not arguing with that in the least because you are right. Um. But it is, it's uh, actually, sorry, less less with African-American as much as with Native Americans. So, so Native American oh, uh, characters uh, are gosh, often... we see them even on screen even less. Than... And when they appear, they, they're, they're almost superhuman in their yeah. abilities and so on. It's a very complicated line to tread of realistic, a really good portrayal, funnily enough, was Crocodile Dundee with uh, David Goldblatt's character. You know, he meets him two-thirds of the way through the film and is initially, for a few seconds, you think he's the mystical Native Australian, the Aboriginal who can walk through the forest and has a wonderful time. And then it turns out he's a city bloke and he, yeah. you know, hates the bush and, and it's a real comfortable... I don't know where Croc stands 
as a representation, but I really thought that this movie was going to do that whole the, the mystical, mystical knowledge. knowledge because obviously they've been there before. The rock paintings are on the wall. He's not surprised in the slightest when Carrie Fisher's character arrives. Good day, missus. Where's your clan? Nobody else. Only us. Well, what about the ritual? Still got the spear. We could do it right now if you like. Cut hand and make blood. You expecting trouble? Oh, people like him always expect the worst. It's almost conversational for a few seconds. Yeah, that was weird. It was like they'd met before. That was not a first action. Yeah, at first I thought, oh, has she popped back before and this is why she knows? She didn't say tribe, she said clan. Clan, that's true. And then she says, uh, yeah, and then he says, oh, yeah, what about the ceremony? And the guy goes, oh, well, we've got the spear here, you know, we can do the ceremony if you want. And then... then That was very much she'd been there before, but that was just another thing that was introduced to us that they didn't go any further on. Yeah. Which also meant they... Not as problematic and racist, but still kind of blatant. How do we know it's Australia? Oh, he's a guy playing a didgeridoo. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the... I don't think any of the Indigenous Australian actors had names. No, they are actually, I think they're listed in the credits as didgeridoo player. Oh, God. Tracker, I believe, is um, oh, the character the old that bloke? I believe. Now, as it turns out, a couple of the actors actually went on to do a, a bunch of things. I think one of them became a movie producer as well, oh, cool. which is really awesome. But yeah, no, they are, they're token. As indeed then, is... There is um, no character development Riley of Wands. anybody in this film. No, absolutely not. Uh, I don't think anyone... Oh, very few people have a surname, mm-hmm. like the cops do, because mm-hmm. we refer to them by their surnames. Mm. Well, Ballard, is that his first name or last name? We assume last name. That's a very so, 80s thing, though. But we refer to the women by their first names. Yeah, boss is just boss. Dean Stockwell is just boss. Oh, yeah, let's talk about how much Dean Stockwell has wasted on this at some point. Well, what's he got? Five minutes screen time all up? Mm, yeah, he's sort of phoning that in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if it weren't for the fact we know that the filming altogether was quite truncated, you'd wonder how long Dean Stockwell was actually there. <laughs> if indeed he is even there. Because technically speaking, there's not one sequence of his that could have, couldn't have been filmed on a soundstage in L.A. Well, at least we know from his shirt he wasn't blue-screened in. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, the, oh, the, the outfits. Wow. Though this is um, a bit weird because his shirt looks like almost no one else's. It's really strange. It's uh, him and the Australian sub-commander that they've got this arguing. It's like they're a weird... They're the only two wearing that kind of outfit. So, yeah, and Dean Stockwell is, is blue. And, yeah, Smith is wearing white, I think. It's all very weird. There's some... Callum pointed out that the costumes are in the... Like in the MST3K... Well, it's movie first, but then MST3K... Yeah. Space. No, not Space Hunter. Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone is a very good film. Watch that sometime. Space Mutiny. Space Mutiny. Yes. Yes. With abs rock on. (laughs) There is a terrible movie. Slab (laughs) beefcake. And it is. And it's one of those ones. I think, having looked at a couple of movies along this line, I think what happens is people end up making a movie that's so derivative whether consciously or not, they no longer feel the need to explain certain parts of their own movie because they just assume it's in the zeitgeist. Oh, look, okay, just a a, a literary example. Dan O'Malley went to a thing that he was chairing, talking about the Rook, 
and then it was quite a while where he realised he talked about this character like so much. It's like, oh, have I ever actually mentioned that he's a vampire? I should do that. Yeah. So yeah, I think you just forget what you've yeah said. It's a really and it's a really tricky thing because you, especially if you're into film and you assume that generally speaking, if you're making film, you're into film. There are certain things that you become so familiar with as a concept that you often might forget to actually clarify yeah, to the outside right. world. And I, I really think that this Or you think you made it clear and it just really yeah. hadn't come across. Well, I think for some would-be cult movies of this era, they're still echoing Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. Consciously yeah. or otherwise, often quite consciously. One of the things that they're echoing it in is that in Star Wars, you are thrown into this world which is... Completely and literally, completely and literally alien to us. Mm-hmm. There is no yeah. purchase. This is not Earth. This is not Earth in the past. We don't. We can't even go. Oh, this is what things were like a hundred years ago. It's not Earth mm-hmm. in the future. So we can't go. Oh, these are like spaceships that are more advanced than we've got now. And it manages, and through the actual capabilities of George Lucas dialogue, to give you the fundamentals of this world enough that you can know it going forward. I think as Star Wars edges out into its expanded universe, it does start to have some trouble with this, and also once it becomes so famous, everyone knows what Star Wars is. Mm, yeah. yeah. But it introduces the idea that you can throw people into this unknown world and they'll roll with it, where it's not really... The skill wasn't in throwing people into an unknown world. It was making the world less unknown by the time you've got to get engaged in it. Whereas I, th- yeah. I think this one kind of wanted people to jump straight into the war of the Jindiki and see the cyborg thing. Mm. It's not surprising to us because we've known what a Jindiki is for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. that. And I think that might be one of the reasons they stuck robots in the opening thing so we'd be grounded in the idea that they were robots so we could... So we could be blindsided. Yeah, and we're supposed to kind of take on board how bad the Jindiki are and granted they do look like bad guys so that they sold pretty well. They definitely Well, they just start shooting people straight up. Start shooting people and they've got armor that's all dark and metallic and covered yeah, in spikes and things yes. so film shorthand they're bad guys <laughs> but we don't have enough context for this world there's a war going on and that we're still trying to patch together the how the going through time things work when it already becomes part of the plot yep and we're not so far up the other end like David Lynch or something that you can say, Any not telling shit. you stuff <laughs> is yep. I'm actually not convinced it is in his case. <laughs> yeah, it's really no, not. Not, not no. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's amazing, but yeah. But yeah, so it's just, it's just not telling us enough, not to the point of providing us with a new world, of just being frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. That said, and it was really funny you should mention that because I genuinely wrote this down and was thinking about it at the time. One of my favourite sci-fi authors is William Gibson. And one of the things I really like about William Gibson is the way that he is incredibly, especially in his early, you know, real, real punk era stuff, incredibly able to evoke imagery and an understanding with words and phrases that actually have no um, anchor point and you simply get it from context. And there were a couple of points and it was almost all dialogue. In particular, the terms making the spin and on the line. So making the spin about you've got to dematerialise, you've got to get out of it. Got to get out of the timeline. On the line? And on the line being on the timeline and actually utilising oh, right, the right, time. right, I thought they went really well because I was like, I immediately understand the context of what that means in the concept. Even though I don't 
you haven't explained what on the spin is. You haven't felt yeah, the need to go full right. exposition. But they were really small gems, and the very fact that they stuck out really highlights that so much more of this movie was like, I don't... Are they the bad guys? I don't know. <laughs> it's a war, but we've now... And I don't know whether it's maybe a sign of where we are now versus where we were in the 80s. I've seen so many battles now that... It, I need somebody to hand me who are the bad guys and who are the good guys. I need to, who am I rooting for? And especially if this I hear the that Mitchell these... the Mitchell and Webb sketch. Maybe. And, it, you know, also, if you're going to now tell me that these guys are cyborgs and they've, they've also, this is the way they survive, you're going to need to now give me more than, but we now need to kill them. Yeah. Because technically speaking, I could be feeling sorry for them. So, yeah, you can't just paint them black and give them spikiness and make them the automatic bad guys. Well, how about I give you this quote? What? I know the quote you're going to give. I think it's the only woman in the city that gets to speak. Oh, well, other than mm. Carrie Fisher. Uh, the classic male answer to everything. Pick up guns and kill one another. And our hero responds. These aren't plumbers you can bribe to get your bathroom fixed overnight, lady. They kill to live. Yeah. Which... Do they? It's, it, Do they? It's easy to kill to kill. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're not eating what they've killed. They're not using it as a source of power. They're not mm. killing to live. And as we discover... It seems the city are killing to live because people are trying to kill them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very... But good to know that in 4039, <laughs> it's just as hard to get a plumber. Which is really cool because... Oh, so... yeah, all... this is one city left. They're apparently a 24-7 fighting... Jindeki and trying to jump through time and goodness knows what else, but apparently there are still plumbers who still operate commercially. Well, no, they don't have a standing gone. army. And they're... Well, Callum said there's else. prostitution. Yeah, there's prostitution. I didn't pick it. The sequence... But the yes, sequence they don't have a standing army. That the sequence is stated. Dr. Sun actually goes to try and get the power of the time travel to sort of... He, he goes he, past a woman and just says no. And sort of waves her off. And so Callum took that as her being a prostitute. Yeah, because yeah. she's in a janky part of the... Basically what you've got, you've got the Enterprise from Star Trek, but inside it's the city from Blade Runner. Thoughts? Because we know there must be plumbers that people fall in love, people get married, people get divorced, people argue over the kids... That means there's lawyers. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly not going to rule out that there's sex work going on in the city. I just didn't necessarily see the because the what... no could have just been not now. I'm in the middle of a brainwave. Exactly. Not Can't now. talk to you. Don't try and proposition me now. Or don't try and talk to your professor. No, I'm right? not. Or, or just, <laughs> no, you're convinced. You're convinced. Or just, yeah, just I'm... bugger off. I don't want to no. hear about the Church of the even more Latter Day Saints. Well, that's a possibility too. Maybe it's the latter, latter, latter Day or Saints. Or just I don't <laughs> care. I'm doing something else. No, absolutely. I don't have any spare change. I have to do a science now. But I am definitely. I don't like you. No, no. I. <laughs> no, I'm, Callum is certain. I'm sitting on this one. I, I don't often do it, but I'm convinced that that was what they were intending. I'm not necessarily saying the execution was very good, but I do believe that they're trying to suggest that within the city limits we have a city we have a yes, sorry right. sorry sex work my apologies sex work sex workers i am suggesting that she is a lady of negotiable affection and i think that, that that's sex the... work is way shorter yes anyway but yeah so we've kind of gotten a little off track here Somewhat. as we do <laughs> so basically what we have is a n city sitting in some bleak blasted future we have a repair crew, and I swear, if you go back and you, you listen to the dialogue, no, you're right. They, they but the say, first two out there are guards. Yeah, yeah. oh no, hundred percent. The first two out there are guards, but Ballard is out further somewhere with a repair crew, and along for the ride is Carrie Fisher's character Petra, one of the two American ring-ins that absolutely then make this an exploitation movie. She's come off the tail end of Jedi. She so makes this movie worth watching. She's beautiful. She's just she's oh, Carrie she's Fisher. Fantastic. Yeah, and. 
we always want to see more Carrie Fisher. Absolutely. She's come out the tail end of Jedi. She started to hit that sort of little flat spot in her career, which kind of took her through Drop Dead Fred and a couple of other periods, uh, which, as she mentioned in her own book, was also a period where she was into a bit of drug abuse and a lot of alcoholism and so on as well. She just literally the movie that she did before this was called Amazon Women on the Moon. But that's that was a very tongue in cheeky sketch comedy movie almost. But again, Alan just gave me look like, of course you have. (laughs) Well, of course you have. The two main women in this movie switch roles, but we don't know why. Yes. No, we don't yet. Uh, we don't know. I, Isn't yeah. that weird? It is It is weird. Yeah, well, we haven't gotten to the second woman yet. But yeah, it's, oh, it's, I need to go for a cigarette before that happens. Yeah, it's far from unheard of, but... But this I, is a major actress from the US. Hmm. So we have two main... Oh, sorry. I am go- I'm going to take a complete guess yep. in that, just bouncing off what we said about Dean Stockwell, that Petra is in the film a lot less than any. Mm. Yeah. And so yeah. it might have been a case of we can afford to get... Carrie Fisher for Petra number of days, but not any number of days. Yeah, right. The other thing that's really that I, that really struck me when we were talking about this is so we got uh, Nikki Coco playing Anne, who's the Australian mining woman. She's out to geologist. To, yeah, the geologist. She's out to explore. Sorry, weird... rock worker. <laughs> Love it. She's she's out to investigate weirdness that's happening in a in a little area next to Midas, that small town that's literally a road. And then you got Carrie Fisher who plays Petra, who is the person who is assigned as Tom Burlinson's partner. And don't you know he doesn't need a partner because partners are terrible in eighties. Do you know what? I agree completely. We could have done this movie with completely without him. Okay, we can get back to that. Yeah, right. Carrie Fisher and Nikki Cogger. Well, this is the thing we actually discussed. Fall in love. They could have still saved the day. True, yeah. Well, they could have just bathed together in the Billigong, then we would have still seen Billigong. Did I say Billigong? You said Billigong. (laughs) I mean the Gillibong. The Gillibong, of course. The thing that really struck me talking about it, so you got the Australian geologist lady who goes out. She's the she's the audience analog that gets suckered in. She's basically the character from Terminator. Sarah Connor. She's a Sarah Connor. Connors. Connor. Connor. She's she's a Sarah Connor. You have Carrie Fisher, who's the offsider for Tom Burlington. Now, when they come back in time, we already know that the city is this multicultural mix of various nationalities. We've we've heard a bunch of different accents and so on. Uh, yep, go on. How weird would it have been if, of all the people that they encounter when they come back from the future, it's an American in the form of Carrie Fisher as this one random geologist who's gone out to the middle of Australia? It just struck me that it would be really weird that you're encountering an American in Australia, it would put well, it in as another one of Maybe the people of 439 didn't know an American accent from Australian one. No, no, but we do as an audience. Oh, okay, yeah. I see. It right. would just be, it would have really stuck out like weirdness. And especially if you've got Carrie Fisher, who we really definitely associating with all the Stars Wars, <laughs> to be the weird mining person. I, yeah, I, I think insofar as any decision that was made was a good decision, it kind of works that Carrie Fisher's the one from space in the future. And, um, oh, well, of course Nikki it does. The one from Absolutely. Now. Yeah. But that's just um, wasn't but how it was originally no, intended. originally they were bringing Carrie Fisher over to be... But then we don't know how much was rewritten after that change. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, maybe um, there was some, also some back and forth about that one of the leads or both of the leads or not one of the leads has to be Australian mm. because another thing that stands out like no one's business is Tom Berlinson's bloody attempt at doing an American uh, accent, mm. which makes him Tom. simply sound flat for most of the movie. And Tom. It, and it's really weird because I, 
like I said, I love him in The Man from Snowy River, and I, I think he's an amazing actor. He's certainly great. What he does now as a performer is incredible. I love the guy. But even, especially in the second of the two Man from Snowy Rivers, there's a couple of sequences where he has to do emotion, like proper emotion. And the fact is, when you're on set, it's weird. You don't have the soundtrack. You're often well, of recording lines out of context totally okay now go again and cry now go yeah. again and cry and i recognize it's weird and some actors you feel totally get into the moment and some actors you always think there's that little bit of weirdness in the background then a little self-conscious and i always got the impression that tom berlinson as an actor was always a little self-conscious and he delivers so many of these lines we can't even say it's because he's not comfortable on like earth because it starts beforehand it's not his discomfort of being in the 20th century. Oh, he's, he's right. Just, oh, yeah, no. Like in fact, he's possibly worse <laughs> in the future. Yeah, he's not great. Yeah, oh, he's terrible. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's terrible. He's terrible. I'm just saying that the delivery of his dialogue, which is cheesy to begin with, it's just very stilted and very, yeah, scenery-chewy. Now listen, if we don't break through, we're all dead. So don't screw it up. Let's get these tin cans. Go, go! It's just, just much more positive for women in this than the last one. Like, a woman picks up a hitchhiker and nothing bad happens. Until she gets to town. Oh, she when... Yeah, she does. And when someone... There's a bloke working under a car and one of the gross cops draws attention to Annie and he says something like, geez, I'd rather be working under her. Yeah. yeah. But also as a frisking part later. Oh, yeah. that's feral. But this is just, the cops are just yeah. bad and, and they have a Confederate flag. Okay, and we're going to pay you. Well, Black Lives yeah, Matter. I wanted to park that. I wanted to, sorry, yeah, I wanted to come back to that. Wow, you We can do like, that. Okay, excellent. Back to you, Callum. But yes, I agree with you. This is actually, uh, to me at least, it seemed a, yeah, a female affirmative movie. And in fact, it passes the Bechdel test. Very briefly. Which we have pointed out in the past is not in any way, shape or form a uh, an ultimate test of film, but two female characters, both of which you could argue are significant female characters in the movie, discuss something very briefly that's not just another man. Yeah. They have a, a sentence or two before yeah, he's that's all you need to pass it. the test. Really? It doesn't have to be like a whole scene? No, 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 it's just they need, to, they need to share dialogue about something other than a man. Yeah, the, okay. the script just says, talk to each other about something other than a man. Yeah. It doesn't really go into detail beyond that. Yeah. But I mean, Tom yeah. Burlington's the sexy lampshade in this. He's kind of a sexy la- <laughs> He is a Mad Max character in this. This is one of the Or Terminator. No, well, no, 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 no. He, he says, okay. I'll no, be back. Not, no, I, he's not Terminator. He's meant to be Carl Reese. Who's oh. the main hero from Terminator? Okay, right. Sorry, yes. No, he's not the Terminator in this, but he—they're absolutely taking inspiration from Terminator. But he is definitely a—he's more of a Mad Max than a Kyle Reese because Kyle Reese literally changes the course of history by going back in time because he yeah. sort of becomes his own father. Oh no, he becomes uh, John Connor's him. father. Yes. Uh, whereas in this, Tom Burlington, as we've said, could literally not his character. You know, Ballard didn't doesn't need to be there. Yeah. But he's a Mad Max in a way. Because Mad Max is always a catalyst. Oh, sorry, a yeah, he is. He's a catalyst. He's the thing that comes in, changes the course of whatever particular adventure you're on, but doesn't actually change it himself in any way. Mm. But in the Mad Maxes, his character's handled surprisingly well and is particularly well handled, and they give them some decent, you know, give him give him decent material to work with. And I would argue that poor old Ballard does not handle. Have we mentioned that Carrie Fisher gets shot right at the start? We've literally spends... not gotten past the two guards smoking at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so 
It's the future. There's a city. They're fighting baddies. There is a repair crew out on patrol. Tom Burlington being the buff guy in charge and Carrie Fisher being some underling officer who gives their position away by taking a call from the city's underling officer who is an incompetent. A battle ensues. The city is defended and in the process of defending the city, Tom Burlington blows up one of the legs of the city, which harks to aliens. Oh, sorry, to Alien, which is one of the original concepts behind the the movie Alien, is that when the ship lands, the Nostromo lands. Uh, not Nostromo, sorry. Oh, was it Nostromo? It's Nostromo and Alien. Yeah, okay. Land? Yeah, yeah. Well, when, it, when the ship touches down on a planet, one of the legs actually bends because it lands on an uneven section uh. of rock. And so they actually have to rebuild the leg, and that's what's actually keeping them on the planet for that extended period of time. I've got a vague memory that there's some other sci-fi book or movie which involves something very heavy needing to land on rocks because one of its landing struts or landing gear is is destroyed. And I'm fucked if I can remember what that is. But anyway, so the landing gear is blown up as this thing dematerializes and begins hurtling backwards through time. Tom Burlinson and Carrie Fisher's characters are sent ahead to where it will eventually rematerialize to set up some form of landing structure. He's the muscle, she's the cultural attaché. She's the cultural attaché, the ambassador for the for the culture. And at the same time... Oh my God, she really is the ambassador for the 80s. She's the ambassador. Go Carrie the, Fisher. Oh my God, Carrie Fisher is an Ambassador for the 80s. Yeah, love it. brilliant. That's so cool. And further battles ensue when it transpires that where the city is arriving is just outside of a small country town, and when I say country, a small desert town in Australia with some crooked cops who don't believe it, uh, anything and are really gross, and the final battle for the supremacy of humanity versus Jindiki occurs in 1988 Australia, or as it says in the opening credit... Earth Time 1988. Of course it does. Because apparently Earth Time back in the 80s was just measured annually. There's there's no days or weeks or months or anything. It's just Mm. Earth Time 1988. I guess it's how time speeds up when you get older. Oh, okay. So there was that one year when it was just 1988. Man, think of everything that's happened in 2020. We are just going to describe this as 2020. (laughs) March, January, August. Amazing. Makes no difference. This will be the clusterfuck of 2020. Oh, my God, it will. And yeah, and so that's it. So basically we have a space battle that started in the future, finishes in the current time, nobody learns anything, nobody progresses, nobody has a character arc, a couple of people die, a couple of people don't die, and that's it. Yeah, it's not even a space battle. It's not even a space battle. Yeah, there's, there's this space stuff attached to it by saying Earth time and things and by calling it space trap. Yep, and there's lasers. lasers. But Lasers. Everyone, as far as we can tell, is... Earth native, and yeah. we just seem to bounce back and forth in Earth's history and future. And it's hinted even in Dendiki, if we assume that they are just Earth people who've gone through the cyborginess. Yeah, and there they just... said there were survivors <laughs> from the Neutron War. And... Yeah. So there strange. are just so many bits in this that don't make sense. So at some point, around the hour mark, Hey. They discover that the the gun that Ballard has isn't up to scratch, and Annie's like, I know where to get a gun. And they go to the trucker who was electrocuted earlier because he ran into one of the space balls, which we haven't even mentioned. This is true. Yes, our our uh, our our guests yesterday sort of trapped audience started referring to the time travel equipment as space balls, and then through the entire film, we couldn't think of them as anything other than space balls. They were balls in space. They had to get a gun. Find the guy dead. We'll have to take him with us. Yeah. Quote. Why? That is not the procedure when you discover a corpse. Well, she says we better hand him into the police and it's like, 
already shouldn't you want as little to do with these police as possible? Yeah, because, well, they're racist, creepy as fuck, trigger finger. Yeah. Or the flip side being, call them on a radio? But you don't move the body. body. Yes. You, You do not mess with a body. Does she think she's the guy from a couple movies ago and you have to dump dead bodies outside the police station? <laughs> <laughs> if only it was in a uh, princess, what was the car? Um, oh, yeah, a, a Leyland princess. Leyland princess. I think, I think, again, I've not been able to confirm that. Although, speaking of, where did he learn to drive? We go get an Earth Mover and then he's driving the Earth Mover. Oh, yeah, not great. Oh, no, he's driving the Earth Mover, fine. You're, oh, actually, no, he's not driving the Earth Mover. Oh, no, is that um, our original tracker, tracker dude? Tra- oh, God, no, because that. the woman is the only one in the car. Sorry, Annie, the woman, is the only one yeah, in the no, car. Yeah, no, but they, 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 get the, they get the couple of... Well, he's uh, driving, he's working the uh, digger later. Yeah. But he's not in the car with Annie. No, 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 but the, the couple of the Indigenous Australians are out there. They're all brought in as a... Because it was a mining town and they know all the mining yeah. equipment, that so makes sense. I'm pretty sure the guy who's identified as Tracker is the one who's actually working the... The older bloke that we yeah, meet the at the start. The working the rig. Yeah, he definitely... Yeah, that's right. So he's working the earth. Okay. Here. And there's a younger guy lingering around doing yeah. other stuff. Well, that's it. And also, don't forget that Ballard at one point is, is taking just small taking shovels full shovel of soil. taking a shovel into dirt for no reason whatsoever. Also, it's like, right. we need to... Like, one leg of the city has been damaged because cities have legs now. It's like... So we need to build that up so this can land. There are no specs anywhere. No. There's just no detail That's whatsoever. Really I, I noticed that when I was thinking about this because, as I said, there's a, there's a real parallel with the landing ship from the Nostromo you know, crashing, and even while you've got all that very simplified sort of graphics and stuff that's very much that 80s, it, it's, it, in some cases, the, the the computer screen graphics are actual swaps from Blade Runner and back and forth from because they're both Tony Scott films. But you still get enough information from Ridley those screens. Scott. Ridley Scott, sorry, not Tony Scott, yes. Um, you still get enough information from those screens to get a concept of what's going on. You get none of it. It is literally just random num- numbers and There's so much stuff in this that doesn't go anywhere and, yeah. or yeah. you think is going to go someplace. And some of the shots are... I mean, some of the sets are incredible. The one where oh, you're yeah. down the middle of the big gantry out into the outside world. It's well, huge. Some of the sets and costumes and stuff they got to work on before things started going to pot. So... Uh. They actually got to put a decent amount of work in it. They look pretty good. Yeah, they do. And that was, yeah, like I said, that's one of the things I can totally see where a lot of that budget went because it's all unique assets. It seems to be all unique props, all unique sets. Yeah, it's no wonder this shit cost an arm and two legs, even if there are then sequences when, for example, a mask comes up and it looks almost exactly like something out of The Last Starfighter. But, eh. Of course, we talk about Ballard just randomly shoving bits of dirt with Petra's like historianing as hard as she can yeah. <laughs> and he's like oh better go for a swim then yeah what the hell am I oh god oh it's such oh, a oh but it's gross and hot and you would want to go well I would want to go mm. for a swim but oh my god the kissing is so gross I mean yeah. obviously the guy and the girl hook up and it's just why is straight kissing in everything gross if they just mush their faces together. Okay, the the final kiss is nowhere near as bad as the first kiss, but the first no, kiss the first, is, is yeah. an absolute it's, smash the face together. Yeah, it's, it's so, so yuck. Um, well, apparently, the the love story was added in the redrafting and meddling and whatever. They didn't have one to begin with. That's really surprising. Not much, of, not as much of one from what I've read. Yeah, um, right. And which, yeah, despite the gag I made earlier, I usually kind of like it when if they can put, especially. And we're talking an ostensibly straight male or straight female character together and 
not bring in a love plot because yeah. because movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are yeah. there are some movies which actually actively decide that the characters aren't going to have a romantic interaction, and I remember those ones sticking out quite noticeably for that. The the big one for me wasn't actually a, a, a movie, but a, a TV series, which was the X Files. That they one of the things but, they said right at the start is these two characters will not. Hook but it up. was like so much of the X Files was Eventually, around the sexual yeah. tension. It was oh, no, will no, they won't they? they? But but you can't build that up much in. No, but I mean. You've got an hour and a half to two hours to um to establish a a, a slight. It's mainly a race invading. I mean that cuts into your downtime. There was a nearly exploding bus. There was a whole bunch of potential terrorist activity. There's a there's any number of reasons why they shouldn't hook up at the end of a movie. But oh, there's so many reasons they should though. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, you've got John Travolta trying to use a nuclear bomb on people. I mean, you know. <laughs> Callum, we watch Broken Arrow. I watch Broken Arrow, yeah, mate. The One other thing I'm going to say, just at the last one, I actually noted this. We were talking about how there's this, this big discussion about do they know that they're cyborg or robots or whatever. The one other thing I noted down is the sequence... And and this is the thing for me. So so when I actually listed a bunch of movies at the start saying, you know, it was after Aliens and Terminator and Cockney. Yeah. The reason That's I listed those specific movies is there are points in this film that are absolutely those other movies. There's sequences that are Dune, the the battle with the Shadowcar troops on on the desert. There is We've got the dickhead cop Rafferty playing with one of the a section of one of the space balls who gets sucked in and only a smoking shoe is left behind and then it spins like the license plate and back to the future. Oh, right, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things I noted, of course, was Blade Runner. There is a Blade Runner sequence. So the famous, oh, the famous, but the sequence in Blade Runner where uh, Deckard goes in and sort of is analysing the photo. We reenact that entire sequence when Ballard brings the heart into his apartment and then sits down oh, and starts to analyse it with his interactive voice. And the cyborg voice, the little exposition voice that says, okay, let's talk about what we know, actually uses the phrase that we know they're cyborgs. So it's it's known. I don't. The dialogue contradicts itself so much. So this is like a it's, fan film. Yeah, and there's so many drafts just clashing against each mm. other. And yeah. I don't know if it's that they think we won't notice or that they don't notice because they're just trying to get it onto the can in however short a time they had. Some... And then Ballard turns into Trump because he can't do sentences anymore. <laughs> the technology's enormous. We've got powers your time can only dream about. The technology is enormous. Yeah, That's nothing like not an enormous sentence. technology. We have and the greatest we've technology. got powers your time only dreams about. What time is dreaming about? They're not dreaming about powers. They might be dreaming about technology or knowledge or new information. But not... Or maybe we have power that your that your time is not dreamed, has never dreamed of, but certainly not powers. Powers, pow- powers was specified. Yeah, like like armbands. Yes, special armbands that are actually a lot Every less complicated time it than we made make me them out to be. That was totally. Clipping her flesh there. Well, yeah, and I don't know if it was just the way I was watching, but it felt like there was supposed to be more to them than they were. Oh, good, yeah. But that's everything in this film. Yeah, because it's it presses it to do to do what help help Petra. Yeah. Well, she says press it down for a count of three. She presses it down for less than a second, mm. and then Annie says it knocked oh, her Annie out. It's like right. that didn't knock her out. She's not asleep. Yeah, because it's real. Uh, that we're, was actually, we're watching her right now. That She's... is an amazing sequence of dialogue. It's like, what is that thing around her arm? What do you mean? I just pressed it and it sent her to sleep. Silence for two seconds while Ballard glooms. Tell her about it, says the voice of the person who's meant to be asleep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's insane. Well, tell her about it, Ballard. Does Ballard. no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the, incredible. Then Petra gives Annie hers because 
Because she going to die. Yeah, she has. Yeah, I don't know. There yeah, is no, seriously, that, that's it. Yeah. yeah, it is one well, of Well, it's like, is she just injured? She thinks these backwards folk can't take care of me or something. I, but the only injury we could see is her shirt's a bit burnt on the shoulder. Yeah, it's so strong. Well, which, I mean, you know, that kind of just makes it like shot. she's decided to just kind of sit out for half the action because. What, <laughs> half what, the movie? Yeah, well, because yeah. what actually kills her is. Then Dickie at the end just does its. No, oh, she, what kills her is she leaps hug. at the Jindiki. She and gives her a big flying hug. hug. I yeah, do so whatever's of, been bugging her all movie has nothing to do with it. I do kind of get the impression Carrie Fisher got a nice flight to Australia, had to appear for a few days in a, in a movie, and then just got like, to enjoy herself. like, going down the reef. And yes. we can only assume Dean Stockwell was actually flying to Australia before all we know he had the same thing, but actually in, in America. I think he might have family in New Zealand. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. That's very nice. Yeah, I don't know if he had them then, but I think he's got them now. Ah. But they also made take that off. She can't deliver it as if this is the most heavy thing either, but it just means... Just slow the armband down yeah. Yeah, yeah. a bit. It makes it sound like it's become bonded to her flesh or something, but it's more like, <laughs> oh, no, she just needs a bit of help. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that sequence where the cop finally is actually working out and gets it going, that sounds for all the world like that half second of this beginning of a countdown from the Predator wrist. Do you remember? There's a little sort of beeps go a little bit higher and a little bit higher, but then it just turns out that it's some special signal to the time guardian and so this is another so this is another thing i want to ask at the beginning we believe ballard is just another troop fr- trooper from this this very non-militarized city he's he's just one of the army he does get the dudes. biggest guns but yeah but he doesn't have a title he's just ballard yeah yet for some reason the aliens start calling him time guardian maybe so they Zurich call all starts... of them time guardian though but that's i but then the movie Did is they? the Time Guardian, not Time Guardian. We have a title, excellent. <laughs> but we don't know why they started calling him Time no Guardian. Idea. Oh my god! Um, and the other thing, Bernard <laughs> says to McCarthy, "Is McCarthy so boss the chief cop yet?" McCarthy, yeah. mm. that's right. Because of remember me, McCarthy. Yes, I was there. An hour I was, ago. It was five minutes ago. If you're doing IRL, yeah. oh, so and frustrating. He says that McCarthy wouldn't understand what the armband does. Apparently neither would we, because really, other than that pressing it to knock out Carrie Fisher because reasons... But then not. It, what does it do? Yeah. Yeah. If you want me to help you, you're going to have to tell me what's going on. And you can start with that bangle. What? The armband thing. When I pressed the button, it put it asleep. It does a lot more than that. Tell her, Ballard. Tell her we're going to need her. Okay. It bees. It bees aliens. Were they anticipating fans across the world buying plastic replicas of these armbands? I I wonder whether they had a merchandising concept in place. So just to tie in with Star Wars a little bit further. Well, because the guns are unique and they're big too. (laughs) Um, You've got armbands. Some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff suggests to me they were trying to make a cult movie on purpose. Yeah. Uh, That doesn't happen. That's a dangerous thing. No, absolutely, yeah. And as we've seen, even a mainstream series like the the new Star Wars films, when they try to meddle with we think this will become cult, yeah. then they fail. I mean, for me, the, the big one on that it's is... It's like you fashion. can't make a viral ad campaign. No, you just um, can't. It's like people forget now, because it's so monumentally successful, even with its failures built in, Star Wars in 1977 had no business succeeding. Nope. Absolutely. It's, it wasn't revolutionary. There no. were other movies like stuff it. Stuff had come before it, stuff came after it. Yeah. All of them the same. The only real thing about Harrison it is... Ford. Well, Sorry. I think you. the big thing was... Well, I was going to actually say about this because 
I think the thing was the story. And what made it work was that it is it is the classic hero's tale. And no other movie that I can yeah. think of from that era that didn't have some other hook of, say, extra technology, or Tron or whatever. Although Tron itself is, to a certain extent, the hero story of the reluctant hero. But just remember back to the absolute beginning of Star Wars. We have the scrolling text, which was done by hand at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we have the ship. It's, um, I would want to lose my memory so I can go and experience that again for the mm, first time. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to go get me some ECT. <laughs> it's interesting you should say, not the ECT part, but it's interesting <laughs> you should say that because I actually owe another movie an apology. Because mm-hmm. I argued, I, th- I believe I actually argued in, a, in the last podcast, that this was very definitely a vanilk of Krull. I got a very Kroll vibe. Which you know you're talking about, and I've not oh, seen. That's right. I rewatched. I rewatched Kroll this morning, and oh, I owe Kroll a big apology because Kroll oh. is way better than this movie. The oh, only cool. anchor point I got was that the bad guys have a very similar kind of look of their their whatever. Yeah. But the opening sequence of Kroll is a giant space meteor kind of going through space. Mm-hmm. It's actually a giant rock city, and so it's a very similar thing. So. Yeah. This was originally going to be versus one alien rather than versus a whole bunch of they were, time. They were going to completely own the concept of it being Terminator. Yeah, definitely. Zurich is a character, but basically in the film as seen, he's chief alien has a name, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But he just was... want to point out that Zurich is uh, spelt Z-U-R-Y-K. Yeah, not like the place. But until, like, right at the end, when our man is saying it's over, Zurich's dead, did you think Zurich was in any way important? No. No. I kind of got... He's seen that most to be sort of the squadron leader. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And it I, was it was nothing. And I guess retroactively looking back at it, the sequence where Tom Burlinson is unraveling the secrets of the heart, you <laughs> could argue that somehow somebody could go, Oh yeah, he was a psychic controller. That's why he was able to read those bits from the heart and not but just there into was recording. Nothing no, there's in, nothing in to, the film to tell exactly. us that. You also kind of get the impression that there's like and granted this is is a practical budget thing that could only do so much about that there's about three dozen Jindeki Tops. Yeah, it really doesn't seem like yeah. very many of them. It was like there's too many of them. It's like, how many thousand are in your city? I know you don't have a proper army anymore, but... Yeah. But apparently, like, when he unleashes the power of the timeline thing at them and wipes them out, it seems that if any of them had sort of decided to stand a few metres off that way... Yeah. And yeah, if you it's... want to defeat them, it's... Defeat the... Um, just... Hang on until daylight and find where they're hiding, like vampires just blow up the lair. <laughs> Which reminds me, the, the sequence right at the very start, where, or well, at the start, but where Ballard first finds Anne, that's daytime, isn't it? And the Jindiki's wandering through the bush during the day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yep. There's just no consistency in this movie. Oh my God. Oh, and where he, oh. like, so Annie's walking through the bush and there's the Jindiki there and Ballard grabs her over the mouth to stop her speaking and he's like just thinks no that's just, that's an entirely reasonable way to do this why not oh god that's but that's really common in movies oh i know that's massively common in movies doesn't fucking <laughs> no yeah in movies if you're grabbing behind and someone covers your mouth that renders you entirely sight yeah absolutely oh. you don't do anything you don't kick you don't squeal and you certainly don't give away your position because yeah by default yeah. the other one is even worse <laughs> skip to the end I want to talk a little bit more about the cops. So, so the Ugh. cops. Have, so, so this is really weird. So, we talk about the fact that Ozploitation movies. The, one of the main aspects of them is that they're intended to be sold sold overseas. They're they're pushed to be big. Oh, you think that's why they got the Confederate flag? Well, that's what I was going to say. So, 
In American movies, if you want a really bad local cop, you usually yeah. make them down south, you give them the reflective sunnies. Down south, classic, south Australia. Terrible thing. Yeah, and I, I don't know if they were worried there wasn't that level of anchor point for these cops, that it wouldn't necessarily make sense. I don't, um, they didn't come off as racist necessarily, they just came off as incompetent. Oh, oh, and aggressive. Well, so this is, okay, so this or, is the thing. Sorry, what did you say? It wasn't asshole. Dumbass. 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 Jackass. 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 Like, that's not what we see. Well, this is... Okay, so first off, um, shout out to Jim Holt. So he plays Rafferty, the the initial cop that we meet. Real mainstay of Aussie films. Always... What um, were you saying? Something, you were saying something awesome about Jim, Jim Holt just earlier today. He's apparently a, um, as a magician, yeah. Yes! He's an accomplished magician and clown. Which, you know... Bully for you, dude. That's really awesome. He He's played a bunch of characters in a bunch of movies. <laughs> Watch me pull his Confederate flag out of my pocket. Jeez. <laughs> oh, He's 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 certainly done. He appeared in Crocodile Dundee. He was one of the goons in Crocodile Dundee Two, who who decides he's going to run away towards the end when um, Croc Dundee's Batmaning each of the villains, oh. and he does a lot of those sort of roles. He does a lot of those kind of secondary type roles. Now there was a couple of things I was I noted on this one because Jim Holtz he initially plays it as Anne says as if he's the only cop in town, and then we find he's actually an underling to Sergeant McCarthy, who's Tim Robertson. And at the yeah. very very first introduction. You get the impression that Tim Robertson, Sergeant McCarthy, could go either way. He seems embarrassed by Rafferty, and you think he might almost be the reasonable cop. If you've ever seen the movie... Um... If you've ever seen a movie. <laughs> I would argue Care Bears, maybe not. Um, <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Wraith, you get the character... Of... Well, these had similarities with The Wraith as well. Did, yes, but you get but you get the similarities with the sheriff that actually sort of knows what's going on and yeah. is a little bit more intelligent and then lets it kind of play out its own thing. But then we get the secondary introduction and Sergeant McCarthy's as much of a dick and he's using his power to be a, a pain in the ass. Now... And, and creepy, groupy guy. Yes. Rafferty's cop has two little ribbons on his pocket. Mm-hmm. They're Vietnam... They're Australian Vietnam medals. Really? I didn't notice. Yes. So they are... I actually was paying attention to this because I... It, are they, they on the right side weird. or the left? They're on the left side. Okay. And they are the Queen's Vietnam medal and the Vietnam campaign medal. So the Vietnam medal is the Australian medal to say you were in Vietnam. Yeah, you turned and up. And the Vietnam... And they campaign. say we invited to... Oh, fuck, oh. stop talking. Participation medals. So the Queen's Vietnam... Um, I'll let you decide whether you're going to leave that in or not. So the Queen's Vietnam medal is the Australian... <laughs> so the Queen's Vietnam medal is the Australian... De- I do my best... <laughs> I do my best to make it easy on you, Daria. <laughs> So the Queen's Vietnam Medal is the Australian Defence Force issued medal to say that you were in Vietnam. Uh, and the Vietnam Campaign Medal was actually, I believe, issued by South Vietnam for all of the to all of the people who actually appeared. That's the one that's green and white with a little a little kind of bit of metal in the middle of it. Gratitude medal. The gratitude. I think that's the one, yeah. Now, generally when somebody has got the Vietnam medals, there are four medals, four ribbons that they show. The two that are missing are the Australian Active Service Medal, that's you were a, a military service personnel from 1945 to 1975, and also the Australian Defence Medal, which shows, yes, you were part of the Australian Defence Force. So they're usually... 45 to 75? No, no, between the years of 45 and 75. Sorry. They weren't telling you that you were there <laughs> from 45 It's not a to lifetime achievement award. No. So they're normally done as four. They do have long service medals, though, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Probably. Yeah. So they're normally run as four. And if you ever look for, you know, the Australian Vietnam ribbon, it's always four ribbons, not two. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to deep dive on this, and again, I'm not... And I know you second, do. 
you could argue that he's only kept the two ribbons that make him go, I was in Vietnam, you wouldn't know, man, you weren't there. And what he's lost, and I'm just pointing at my chest, are the ones that suggest he did it as service to the Defence Force. So it's almost like he just wants to show how hard he is. You're reading a fuckload into that. I am, but it is a very weird little decision for them to have made to go with those two only. Unless they just had those two? Well, no, but that's the thing. They're not normally they're not normally displayed that way. Yeah, I think what they've ever saying is you're assuming they knew a thing about what they were doing. There's a possibility there. The other option, but if you look at it, Serafity is ex-Vietnam vet. Yeah. So he's... The, the character. Yes. The... Now, this was 1987, so we're certainly coming out of the tail end of it, but there was definitely a period in the 70s to 80s that a lot of the portrayal of Western people in Vietnam, especially by Western movie makers, was that they weren't very nice. It was not a... So when was Good Morning Vietnam? That's a very good question, actually. But I know sort of things like Full Metal Jacket, uh, Apocalypse Now and those ones, you know, it was a messy war and it was one where if you almost wanted to show that someone was a bit... 1987, same as this. Okay. Yeah, if you wanted to show that somebody was a bit off the wall, you know, and likely to go Rambo, you say they were a Vietnam vet. And there was a lot of that kind of concept of, of you know, they were at a hair trigger and they could go at any time sort of thing. So they specifically chose to make that younger, the, the Rafferty cop, a Vietnam vet, which I thought was very interesting. And he was carrying an American... Oh, I didn't notice. I just thought it was a... Creep. And that's the thing. So he's a creepy person and then Tim Robinson and they have a Confederate flag in their police station and a wall full of There's gun. a Tommy gun. There's a Tommy the, gun. If what yeah, police department has that? Arsenal, an Uzi, an Uzi <laughs> 9mm. There's like um, two people in this town. It's yes. Um, they're Lugers. There are a lot of war gun and violent guns and so on. And, of course, then that plays into the whole sequence, which is, as, as we, I don't know if we've actually clearly said, but but this one's often referred to as a, a shitty Terminator ripoff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a shitty ripoff of a lot of movies, but it's Terminator but even, more than anything like before else. that, just when we started watching it yesterday with a couple of friends, one of them said it's a low-budge Terminator. It's a low-budge Terminator. And the sequence where they're fighting off the Jindiki in the, in the police station is absolutely the sequence where the original Terminator where Arnie goes into the police station and blows it all to hell and gone in an attempt to get Sarah Connor. He's even, you know, hiding in certain rooms and stuff. So, oh, really? Yeah, and in fact, to the point where I think the sequence where she's flashing the Jendiki and you get a vision through the Jendiki's mm. visor is very similar to the view through Arnie's Terminator eyes. Oh. When he's actually kind of assessing the kills and things in all the areas. If you watch those two sequences side by side, you'll see crazy parallels. But we just, it's like we needed to give an extra little twist of we need to establish these cops as crazy, horrible bad guys. Yeah. McCarthy also has a movie shotgun, which the pumping it all it does is say, I totally mean what I just said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Punctuation. <laughs> But also, uh, I like that he doesn't automatically know how to use the gun he picks up, Mm. though he amazingly picks up the right gun with the matching ammo. That is really cool. But then he's shooting at the Tendiki at, like, you wouldn't even call it close range. It's right the fuck in front of you. Every bullet that rebounded would just be going straight into your gut. He he dead. <laughs> You're assuming, but he was very surgically removing the heart. Yeah, no, he wasn't. Super, <laughs> doing the little surgical shoot circle. <laughs> and I mean, if we want to then throw one last couple of references into this of what other movies it could be, uh, Karate Kid, I think. I didn't actually oh, yeah. hear Karate Kid, but basically with Dr. Sun, you've got a Mr. Miyagi analog as the one who took in Ballard's character character and feral child and, and also a couple of times is almost played as a uh, Hannibal Chu from Blade Runner as you know the, the mm. guy with the eyes so it's almost like and he talks like the street food guy from 
Oh, from Blade Runner Blade as well. Runner, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it is it's so it's just like this movie to this movie that you could almost timestamp certain movies yeah. in this film and say here's the Blade Runner bit, here's the Star Wars bit, here's the Terminator bit, here's the Crocodile Dundee bit. For, because for fuck's sake, who the hell wears that much white? You wanted to talk about this. Oh god, I mean it's so minor now with everything else that's gone wrong with this. But she, Annie, she's hitting, the geologist heading into the desert. She's wearing these white shorts, and then we later we say there's like a noise outside a tent. So she goes to outside to investigate it in white top and undies. She's just wearing <laughs> white or light stuff. The whole thing. It's like that would last five seconds. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, back to Star Wars. With Mr. Simla. Uh, Simla, oh yes. Dr. Do you remember the stories I told you? Remember your training? It's right at the end of the film. It's like, why don't you just tell him what the fuck to do? Instead yeah. of giving these cryptic <laughs> clues, he's not doing the crossword. And that's what's re- yeah, because when he says, when Ballard says, remember me to the cop, we all remember because it was five minutes ago. Yeah. When he says... It was like five minutes in their timeline. It was yeah. five seconds in ours. When Dr. Sun says, remember your training, there's been zero explanation of what training has occurred before then. No allusion to it, no flashback. There was something about Give energy. Something. Oh, okay. So we haven't discussed that out of his ass, sorry, out of the electricity, he pulls out <laughs> this giant gun. Yeah, with an actual trigger. Yeah, I love the fact that the it, they actually called it something because I wrote that down. Um, the beam accelerator mm. becomes a handleable gun. But did he bring it out of the timeline? So, like when we had Rafferty reaching into the broken bit of space balls, and he brought out that little ray gun, is is Ballard reaching in to the timeline to bring out this huge weapon that shoots time? Did I overthink that? No, no, no. Did I underthink that? I wrote that as well. I said, where did this gun come from? And the only relative bit is I can see that uh, it comes out of that shard. Mm. And what I want to know is what would have happened if Dr. Sun had succeeded in what he wanted to do while they were still travelling through time? Because... He tries to get the gun while they're still travelling. Well, he said this is 500 years of time. Maybe it's 500 in the future, not the past. It might not matter. Sorry, I don't get what you mean. Sorry, what? That's what Ballard says when he's blowing away or whatevering the Jindeki. He says, 500 years of power all at once. Oh, right. Oh, I see what you're saying. So it's only 500 years. Oh, if we assume that that one bit of dialogue actually makes sense, but all the other ones were just sort of random bits. <laughs> I, I, okay, I so picked could... up that. I did pick up though talking about weaponizing time energy. Yeah, I yeah, that too. that's yeah. right. Yeah, and and so we did. Yes. Yeah. So, but the actual weapon and we itself, pulled that out the... of our R slash timeline. Yes. Okay. Because I I was afraid that he he made a component of the timeline. No. Well, I didn't see. Th- into I, a... I didn't get that. Right. Okay. Because I was like, if you pull that bit out now while we're still flying, it's a little bit like saying I can turn the wing of this plane into an amazing shield. Look, I'll do it now. <laughs> As opposed to once we've landed and we need it. Yes, all right. Um, yeah, well, screwing around of time energy while you're travelling through it doesn't seem wise, but no, that's not actually anything real, so we can give them a bit of wiggle room on that. Okay, all right. Well, we'll give we'll give them that one tiny little bit. But let me see if there's any other bits and pieces about the sci-fi. Uh, well, I was just heading toward final thoughts because I have a couple, so that depends on what you like two are up to. Barreled over the top of you a little bit on this one. Is it? Yeah, oh, we Dario. always do. Okay. We never let Daria talk. <laughs> have you listened to us? Um, oh, there was one thing I wanted to point out with the special effects because I'd written down that in general for the time period the special effects were fine. I didn't no, think they, they were fine. They were good. Terrible. Yeah, we've noted that they're um, 
the visuals for the most part are actually pretty good. The one thing I will say though is that at the very start, when the Jindiki start to take out those segments of the shield, oh, they yeah. actually take out the city behind it as well. So instead of just knocking, so so you got the big glow yeah, and then yeah, the city's yeah. behind it. They take the glow bit out, but also that segment no longer has the city behind it either. So that obviously in the editing, what they've done is they've just simply turned a piece of the de- the segment dark. Oh, I see. Instead of removing the yeah. shield and making it clear, right. the two yeah, 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 you, two bits you see, they just take the entire city sure. out as well. It's like, whoops, yeah, that wasn't right. so good. And I will also say that from a from a cinematic point of view, there was a couple there were a couple of sequences that struck me as really. There were a blocky. couple of shots that you, you absolutely loved, which was when. McCarthy was examining the armband. Yeah, I thought the slow rotation above the desk during the, the single dialogue that's held mm-hmm. and he picks up the gun and points it and then puts the gun back down, that was done really well. <laughs> there were a couple of the classic let's pan across the Australian wilderness because, my God, doesn't it look pretty? Uh, we, of course, had the obligatory 1980s boob shot. Suddenly. Suddenly, for no real reason. How unexpected. And, and it's really funny. It reminded me of last, I know, the last action hero where he tries to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to say a rude word and he can't because it's a PG-13 film <laughs> because she's decided that she's going to get topless in front of him, which means she's inviting him to join him in the pool. It's pretty clear. So why not take your undies off as well? And the reason being, we're only running in a PG-13 movie. Oh, we're that just reminded me. Movie. What film is it where they all the crew are getting Jackie Chan to say things like, I like donkey porn? Like he knows that. Like, they're trying to get him to say sentences, and they know that he doesn't know what he's saying, and they keep getting him to say stuff, and then the crew are pissing themselves, like, what are you telling me to say? Oh, is it one of the outtakes at the end of a particular yeah, film? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I know that, that happened one. to him a fair bit. Um, about one hour was the prison rape scene? Oh, the the, the, the sequence. Yeah, the oh, have yeah. you frisked her? Uh, frisked her? Nah. Get in there. Now, are we, are we assuming that the armbands distract them? That the actual kind of gross attempted rape it doesn't actually go through? It doesn't go through. It doesn't happen. Well, no, because there's just a time jump. No, no, no. I don't think that was... Mm, no. Okay. No, yeah. no, right. no, no. No, no, no. I was happy to I was happy to assume that too. Yes. Because oh. the thing is, it just, yeah, it just happens that the next sequence is they're sitting at the desk and he's working Yeah, no, it. that's okay. not a thing. I'm happy. Okay, cool. No, that's good. I'm, I'm totally happy to take that. Yeah, that's when we get the, what does that do? I'm not going to tell you. Yes. <laughs> you um, can't take it off because, oh, it's a bit fiddly. Yes. <laughs> With the other cop whose entire role in this film is to point out that he doesn't know where Rafferty's gone. And to really oversuds a car while he's washing yep. it. And to attempt to go all gross on um, on Anne, and that's it. Anthony I. Janine. There is a name. Anthony Janine. Yes, he that was, was beautiful pre- rhyming, Callum. Well done. Thank you. He's the producer, primary producer on this film. Executive producer. Yes, and he... I said primary producer, no, yes. And his name is involved... Um, shit, Patrick... Metal Tornado, didn't know about that before. Really want to fucking see it Metal now. No, the true cool. story of Escobar Phantasm, Phantasm Comes Again, and Not Quite Hollywood. I want to watch everything this bloke has made. I really do. He is specifically name-dropped by Quentin Tarantino in Yeah. Um, so I probably fucked up the pronunciation of his surname. Sorry, name. Anthony. But, yeah, he's, he's involved. And it's really weird because his is a name... Um, indelibly involved with exploitation. I don't know if he produced any mainstream films. Other than Turkish Sheep, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, fair. Um, but it's almost like, you, it's, it's, for example, you know, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. What's the. Uh, Kurt Russell. 
Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell, there is no reason why half a dozen of the films Kurt Russell has been in couldn't have been A-grade movies, couldn't have been just as big as Terminator or yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever, but they never quite seem to make it. And it's almost like he himself was somehow cursed, cursed the with curse. the beast. Yeah, and I wonder if poor old Anthony was the same, that he just anything he touched just turned Osploitation-y. Alan Zavod. Alan Zavod. Also composed music of the upcoming film for us to talk about, Howling 3. Howling 3. And he's done a couple of good, done a couple of big films too, hasn't he, Anthony Zayford? Not really. I thought you said, did you point out that he'd done... <laughs> no, he's done a couple. Yeah, he did something, and I, when you actually mentioned it, I actually went, oh my God, that makes perfect sense, because... No, you asked me to read out every single thing that he'd done, because you thought you'd recognise something, and then you didn't. Oh, didn't I? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, that's all right. Alan. I thought there was something... Because there were a couple of sequences through this where there's such a janky change in music. Um, The big one is when the truck is driving towards the first of the big balls, the big space balls. <laughs> there's a particular style of <laughs> Thank music. Thank you, Squeak that. and Damien, for that. <laughs> and I was like, man, that, that music is very reminiscent of something else. I can remember what it was. Yes, in turn, baby. You mean left alone. She spreads her campsite very wide. I noted that down. As someone that's a weird fucking thing to note. It was just very widespread. She's like all over yeah, the place. Yeah, but you park she's in truck. the middle of nowhere. She's got all the space in the world. No, but it's for convenience. You just park your car close to your tent to see it can be protected, and then you keep everything pretty close. But the only thing you put fairly far away is the food. Fire. Well, not the food. We don't worry about bears in Australia. That's either. true. Um, <laughs> yes, Daria. Sorry, Daria. You're looking at us really sorry. weird. What were you going to say? No, nothing to that. She's probably going to say, shut the fuck up, the both of you. I've barely spoken this whole cast. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean, it's having a very quick look. Oh, we did, we were doing a big investigation, so I did like a deep dive on the medals. The other thing we wanted to work out was what was actually written oh, the on con- Oh, my God, Caleb, how long did you headband? spend on this? Oh, about 10 minutes. Bullshit. It was seriously more like minimum 30, but I'm thinking 40. Right. It was some time. But for anybody who's even remotely interested, Dr. Sun wears a, a headband which appears to be... Uh, Give a chance. Banzai, <laughs> basically. Banzai. What does Banzai mean? Long live. There we go. Uh, it's a war cry. Yeah. Is Viva la France a war cry? Uh, it has been. It, it has been? Oh, yeah. yeah, of course it bloody has. Oh, <laughs> just... It's like one of the ultimate war cries. I'm overdue if you know what I mean. Um... I will say very quickly, if you want to look for an arc into this at all, you could argue that at the end, Ballard learns to get support from his team because he, he literally He has literally been supported because he's got the... Because he's got the big fucking gun. Massive gun. He needs people to push him forward so he doesn't fall over with a kickback. And we don't get resolution on Dr. Sun. So we know Carrie Fisher died. Oh, died, didn't he? No. He, no. Um, he, he sort of does a kind of hang-in-there-old man thing. Yeah, and then oh, he turns right. to someone else and says, look after him. And then we don't get the Well, he said sequence. to Annie look after him, didn't he? Or someone, yeah. But the point being that he's not dead, and then we just don't ever see the guy again. He was old. Yeah. Instead, <laughs> what we end up with is a cut to the final music. And thank you, Angry Anderson. Oh, best best neighbours moment. Scott and Charlene getting married. That was Angry Anderson scene finally. Wow. Jason so, Donovan and So anybody anybody who doesn't know, and if you're if you're this deep into our podcast and you don't know Angry Anderson as a little bit of surprise, he is he's a he's a pretty awesome singer and he is covered head to toe in tattoos. Really leans in or leans Neither of those his... things are true. He's not a great singer and he's not covered head to toe in tattoos. Okay, go on wow. with your hyperbole. Okay, no, please. He might listen to this podcast. What do you want to say? Oh, about good on you. Lovely to hear you hearing. So what quality of singing would you say Angry Anderson has? 
Look, he's not a great singer. He's this awesome muscle-bound dude who just hits out the rock. Oh, okay, yeah, all right, okay. I, yeah. I would say he, he sings pretty well for what he is. I mean, a bit like Jimmy Barnes, you know, he, he does what he does really well. But Jimmy Barnes isn't a great singer either, but he belts it out. He, I'm just saying he doesn't well, no, have he much does of the range. See, well, see, I think Jimmy Barnes does have the range and he stopped belting out. Remember, because oh, he, got, he, he got told that he, he was going to blast his, his throat, throat out. <laughs> But Angry Anderson, yeah, it, he has actually been in a couple of movies, and the one that most people remember is that he's the offsider in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And he sings in Mad and Max Thunderdome as well. Mm. But, yeah, what we have at the end of this movie is an amazing 80s rock <laughs> oh, ballad. With if some, you close your with, eyes, you can't see. What was the line? You'll never see if you close your eyes. Yeah, well, that's how it fucking works. And the highest love you'll ever find lives in your heart but was born in your mind. Please, Daria, cut oh, into sequences well, from this closing credits. Also, includes, I can't remember the exact words, but basically says, I love you because you're like me. Yes. I've realised that the things I love in you are the things I love in me. Or something along those lines. He likes it off the bits. <laughs> By himself. So good for him. Well hung. Well, that could just came back from last week. <laughs> But yeah, it's just, and in the worst way of 80s ballads, you hear the rhyme coming a mile Oh, yeah. And it's just awful. It doesn't really fit the movie at all. In the slightest. In the slightest. Yeah, but no one's paying attention by the end. (laughs) Well, funnily enough, I mean, I just, for for various reasons, rewatched all of the Batmans up to the the modern ones. And I was reminded that the second, uh, the movie with Val Kilmer as Batman... The closing music was Kiss Me, Kill Me, whatever, by yeah, U2. Yeah, yeah. And then the second part was Kiss from a Rose. Terence Trent Darby. I think it's Kiss from a Rose. Yeah, it was like a totally non-sequitorial piece of music at the well, end of the credits. a sequitur if you cut the word kiss. Mm. But I remember that being a thing for 80s films, didn't they? Didn't the, 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 the soundtrack no, always include some... No, like when you get to the second song in the credits, it, that can just be completely yeah. random. That'll just be a band that appeared somewhere during the film and the song is non-related. Mm, yeah, but that's usually the I mean. first song tries to at least kind of fit. Yeah. yeah. Which again makes me wonder, did they already have this song when everything was going to put and they just had to put it in there and hope for the yeah, best? Yeah, that's right. And who the fuck knows with this movie? But Questions and it answers. More questions. Could have been huge. Was never destined to be. As we've said, it had a budget of $8 million. I don't know whether we mentioned the entire box office was 97728 But I also read that, like I said, that the box office was half, and I don't know if it was half from 60 to 8 or from 8 to 4. So even if we but assume... But it was cut down. Let's assume that the, the let's assume but the even best was, case. Yeah, they, let's assume they only spent 4 million, four million, which means they only well, How much did Carrie get? 3 Carrie million. Carrie and Dean Stockwell. 980,000. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, Carrie Fisher was certainly big enough at that stage. She was about to, as I said, she was about to hit a bit of a flat spot. She didn't know that and people didn't know that. Dean Stockwell was a totally acceptable B-level actor. Not in this movie, but, you know, again. (laughs) But so much of it is just what was handed to them in dialogue form. Yeah. Just. Because it just got, I mean, there were behind the scenes bickering and there was rewriting and Mm. this, I mean, most movies don't live up to the creator's potential because that's this beautiful ideal in the distance and you do what you can, but you settle. But um, this had a lot that would take away from mm. from what they wanted it to be. Yeah, coherent plot. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if there were, were there... Did you find any actual kind of like on stage... Closings? 
Oh, the cat busted out. So Pause. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, we were talking just before about the about you know the recommendations and whether or not to watch this. And I don't, as I said, I don't think I'm going to mark it highly, but I do think this comes with a recommendation that I think if you got a group of people together to sit down and watch it, you'd have a ball. So I don't was, think you need to do that. Like if you're just if you just feel like looking back at a show, like at a movie from Oz history, and you want to see what Australia did in. 87 forget that they spent eight million dollars doing it but like we've shat all over this film but it's highly watchable it's fun in a lot of places and the special effects are really well done yeah, in a lot of it if, if you're not the sort of person who says but wait how come then and the story mm. and a lot of people aren't like that oh yeah you're right uh and not just 11-year-olds. Some people will just watch a movie <laughs> and they'll take on board the, the story of, okay, if you say so, if you person like that, if that's how you roll, you'll yeah. get more out of if it. If you can suspend disbelief. And Is think, that what you're saying? Well, it's less a matter of disbelief because that's usually reserved for stuff that's okay, impossible. Yes. Yep, you're right. And, I mean, the... Like a time-travelling city. Yeah, well, that... Yeah, the sci-fi <laughs> stuff is is fine. I mean, yes. cyborgs, time traveling city. That's cool. It's more when the plot gets lost in itself. Yeah, mm. which isn't so much a sci-fi thing as just what happened to this movie. But if you saw the person who just lets the story wash over you, yeah, wash over you, and which I usually am. Like I don't usually watch things from a, a critical point of view and. Like, this is one of the reasons I am so bad at watching horror movies is I just get sucked the hell in and I can't watch it. And so all heaps of horror movies that I want to watch, I have to watch with the director's commentary mm. so I'm able to see a film without pausing every 15 minutes to go outside to pat the cats and have a cigarette. <laughs> um, but that's actually what I was going to say about this, is that looking at this movie, it's really hard to pick why it failed. It's really the hard script. to say. Well, actually, okay, sorry. Yeah, uh, you're right, sorry. It's, yeah. it's all the script and the dialogue. You're right. Because there's nothing terribly offensive about this movie other than that. There's nothing bad. There's nothing hokey. There's or, just, it just all these things they throw out there that should be followed upon but aren't. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a movie you can absolutely you're right, absolutely enjoy yourself or a couple of friends and But yeah, if you're just like if you want to go watch a in... mid eighties Aussie sci fi and see what was going on, you could do much worse than this. Well I was gonna say they they were making with this budget, they were trying to make themselves, I said, Australia's first Star Wars, Star Trek, Terminator. Big budget sci fi film. Yeah. Has Australia ever made a big budget sci fi film? The Matrix? See, that's an American movie made in Australia. Depending on the given value of big budget and sci-fi, I suppose. Yeah. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. This is just down to definitions. But I don't know. That's the thing. I'm not. I mean, if you look at, you know, you look at the Ghostbusters and the Terminators and the and the Back to the Futures and all of, that particular style of genre, the Ghostbusters, you know, big big sort of special effectsy thing. I can guarantee there are just people yelling at the podcast right now. Mm. What about with that Australian a movie? Bunch of wow. suggestions. Mm. Give me two seconds. I'm just curious about. Now this was 1980. What was the one around about the same time? <laughs> this um, is 1987. Let's have a look at what the Terminator Or 4039, like if that's your thing. <laughs> or the 24th century. Yes. Or the fourth millennium. I mean, whichever you like. Or wow. Back in You've got, times. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, so the budget for Terminator okay. was $6.4 million. You're kidding. Now, that was three years earlier. No. And US dollars. So that had pretty much put it on a par with this I movie. I have more shock than shock Pikachu face right now. Da fuck. That's kind of crazy. This then. South Australia Film Corporation An amazing... and South Australia have made a shirtload of brilliant things. Mm. But the other thing to remember is that the original Terminator wasn't that much of a sci-fi SFX extravaganza. There was absolutely... Well, I guess robot-y... maybe it wasn't that much of a special effects yeah, extravaganza. Yeah, future in the, in the start and the final sequence with the chase through the factory. But the, and, but the factory, there's a factory. You don't have to invent a factory because no. we have factories. Yep, exactly. Whereas with this, when they're in the planet, and let's ignore the, all the trains that go past, the the sets in this, some of them must be pretty big. They do look, yeah, there are some large sections of stuff that's, I mean, sort of, you know, the leg and, and other bits. I get the impression from looking at it, a lot of it was factory filmed as well, at the, towards the end when he's trying to sort of pick up the gun so he can shoot Zurich. Yeah. Well, and there you go, you have one Terminator... You have you have lots of chindeki, so and yes, and like I said before, there was the thing that this was going to be versus one giant alien rather than versus a whole species of. Mm, and they felt they needed to bring in a whole species. And I'll just say that if you watch that opening battle and indeed the second one that happens in the rock formations towards the end, very large notes of the battle sequence in the original Firefly series. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, it may just be the fact that they were both quite dark and filmed in a rocky out, you know, rocky outcrops. But, no, uh, we we both said that when we uh, watched mm. that section together. So yeah, I don't think there's anything particularly on the nose about it. If you can Would ignore the script, say, oh yeah. I mean, that's it's a big ask, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Would you two say go check out this movie? Yeah, absolutely. Daria? Yeah, yeah. And unless you fundamentally don't like science fiction or something, mm. then um, yeah. I'd say fun, it too. Watch some scenery chewing, <coughs> catch a few actors paying for their bills or oh. getting a nice paid holiday to Australia. Watch Carrie Fisher. Yeah. She doesn't put a foot wrong. And I will... She's underutilised, obviously. But, I mean, yeah. you get to see Carrie Fisher and yeah. who doesn't love that? And you almost get to see her boobs. Oh, fuck that! If you assume with that kind of spray-on weird suit thing that, that was they quite interesting. So we watched <laughs> this with friends yesterday, as we said, and so they, the main two characters, Ballard and Petra, wear a weird come out with suit. this. It's it's like armor, but it's also sort of cut off. And Damien kept thinking it was body paint. Because mm, it looks very... But, yeah, it really molded. does look like it's painted on, but yeah. it's not. And then I'm just like, that must chafe a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, I think totally... And with none of the kind of classic, with the exception of Jim Holt, who, as I said, is a, is a more modern sort of second-tier second Aussie dependent uh, dependable actor, none of our classics, we don't have... Well, no. Yeah, we have nobody, as far as I can tell, who was in any of the play schools. And, uh, yeah, maybe only just... Oh. What are you two doing? Stop killing each other. <laughs> Sorry, audience. No, the intern's killing each other. Actually, yeah, do we have... So who would have been the big kind of stalwart Aussie actors from the 80s that would have been there? Cause well, those are the ones you just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. They're just not in this movie. Just not in this movie. Yeah, also, so not appearing in this film. Uh, so, yeah. And it's... 
it from like I said, from that kind of second tier of sci-fi films, which my brother and I just inhaled when we were at, when we were kids. You know, Last Starfighter, you know, Enemy Mine, The Wraith, Dune to a certain extent as well. Although that was a big budget movie that kind of just bombed. And you'd read the this, books before you saw the film. Nope. Oh, you've not? Never read the book. I'm a terrible human being. I've never read You've never read June. Yeah. Isn't it like right there somewhere? It, it is indeed. It's it's down there in the Ds. Actually, no, it's in the, it'll be in the that ashes l- for Frank Herbert. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so it's probably behind my Indiana Jones Lego. Lego. Oh, no, there it is. Because it's you're behind five. But yeah, but I have I, a lot of Harry Harrison. I have all the Harry. I love Harry Harrison. Harry Harrison is bloody fabulous. And, yeah, one. and weirdly, the yeah, <laughs> of course um, we are. Some elements of Harry Harrison in this, but more importantly, more more so in Kroll when I was uh, watching that this morning to see how close it was. Which yeah, really right. Um, talk about going off topic. That's uh, what we do here um, at Podsploitation. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, but the fact of the matter is, is at the end of the day, are we about done on there? Are we totally. Yeah. yeah, let's wind it at, up. At the end of the day, if you're going to rate a movie, you've got to kind of rate it on quality. And I can really, I'm only going to give this two blood spattered, high heeled men boots. Where the high heeled men boots come? Oh yeah, he had cute. Oh, oh the cop had the Cuban heels. All of the men. The were insecure wearing the boots. man. Yeah. The insecure oh, cop Rafferty had uh, Cuban heels. Ballard's Ballard's boots were pretty high heeled as well. Were they? I didn't mm. notice. But then you also said he had a really thick belt, and I didn't well, think he. It did. looked a bit thick to me, but then that might just be my interpretation. It was it was a, sort of an eighties belt, but yeah. I just thought it was a belt. It really did belt. seem to be a fight off between Blundstones and Naren Williams. Oh, and, they weren't Blundstones. No. Oh no, no. One of the cops was wearing Blundstone type boots, oh, and then what there was Naren Williams. Was yeah. that? Yeah. I think possibly Sergeant McCarthy was. Uh, yeah, I don't think there were any shoelaces to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half crows. Referencing the thing I've still not seen. Nor have I, but... It's actually better than I thought it was. It's still great. It's in that sort of... Jason and the Argonauts? What was a stop motion by Ray Harryhausen? Mm. Yeah, big one. And what did you reckon? I think it's worth experimenting with several out of some experimenting watching this film. So you would suggest people should actually check it out? Well, look, knowing what you know now, that's <laughs> up to you. But, look, you've just listened to us for the past 48 hours or whatever it is we've talked, and you know the problems with it, and by now you know the film pretty well. So mm. it is worth watching to see what we're talking about. We, There's a lot of problems with this movie, but it's really, really watchable. Yeah, and we're gonna we we have done and will continue to do movies which are really awful, and possibly we will get to the point of you. No one should watch this. We will be doing. Look, plugs. we've done that before. Yeah, and we will do that in the future. We still have to watch a turkey shoot. We still are going to have to watch a whole bunch of. I.e. Anthony Eugenie turkey shoot. Yeah, there's nothing offensive in this. There's nothing particularly. Oh God. Well, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, we we have a woman get topless other. for no reason. It was the eighties. Yeah, that's the only reason. Yeah. If you're going for a swim, you wear your bikini or you wear none of it. You don't just split the difference. You that do if was it's the nineteen eighties. Yeah, that I, was purely done for the film. I have known people who do that. So while I was going, I know do you know anyone who goes the other way around? Get rid of the undies, keep the bra. Not for swimming. 
It's a sexual thing, man. Oh, no, absolutely. And that was the thing. That was what I was saying is that it, it reminded me of Last Action Hero. It's like the only reason she didn't take her pants off from the completely clear invitation to join me naked in the pool is because she physically couldn't Whereas we didn't see him undress. No, he, he was magically edited into the water. Yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just the other thing. If if this had been solely about swimming, then I would go, yeah, topless with pants. Some people do that. Yeah. Yeah. But because... Yeah. There's probably going to be some question of access, if you will. But, oh, my God, but weirdly, I was going to say, because it was so much like every other film. I mean, you know, in Terminator, there's the topless love scene in in a couple of others. And I was going to mention Wraith. And in Wraith, it's almost exactly the same thing, because it's a rock pool love scene. And um, the actress oh my God, is topless. That the editors and the people who award the ratings... Mm. Totally okay with boobies and not snatch. Surprise! Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, and grass green, sky blue. Yes, exactly. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's not was... they're doing it because it's natural. They're doing it. That's what they can get away with. No, that was my point. That oh, was exactly yeah. oh, what sorry. I was saying. Okay, yeah, that was sorry. why I was saying. Right. You know, it's laughable that she would keep her bottoms on because the only reason she can't is because she's in a PG movie. Yeah. 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 So in in that sense, I recognise it's. Yeah. It, it's for the movie. I was just saying, I do know people who would swim pants only. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I say would. They did. That's how I know. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Funnily enough. But then swimming bra only is very different. Yeah, that would be weird. I don't know. It's only weird because that's what we see on the telly all the time. Mm. I, I mean, speaking as someone who doesn't need to interact with a bra for personal wearing, I, can, I make no comment on that. You do but interact yeah, with people who wear bras. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, Both of us. Yeah. No, absolutely. For a start. Personal wearing, I can't make any comment Sorry. about how more or less comfortable it would be if I then went swimming in it or not, as the case may be. But no, you're, you're right. You're 100%. It's all about yeah, the male gaze. You can get the boobs, you can get the boobs out. Mm. And that's where you end up with the flip side is when you get even more self-conscious, you get those weird L-shaped sheets. After making love. Boobs. Yeah. Yes, that cover boobs, but not the man's chest. Meanwhile, Petra and the <clears> worker <throat> guys were just copping an eye for the whole thing and sitting back with popcorn. Nice. <laughs> and then she nudges him, learning about the 1980s. Oh, or 20th century, yeah. whatever it was. Right. It's done. And I'd like to just say solar employs nuclear destroys. Yeah. Incredibly progressive sticker on that van. like a lot of hate on this car that just rolled into town and none of it was on all the progressive greeny bumper stickers. Mm. So that was fun. Cool. Well, next time for our dealer's choice, it's my turn and I decided to dig up, I say dig up, Mm. it's available on Vimeo and DVD. And you press the button on the Tombola. (laughs) No, 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 this was a choice. Oh. This was a dealer's choice. Oh, I see. Yeah. Dari's taking responsibility for this one. Oh, this will go well. Yeah, that's for... (laughs) Wow. That's I can't fucking wait. Oh, you don't, do you? I do. We played on the show next time. Okay. Alright. Yeah, fuck yeah. Cool. Until then though, I've been Daria. I'm unfortunately November. And I'm still Callum. Thank you for listening to us ramble for longer than the film rang. As we always do. As we always do. Thank you for listening to November, Callum and Daria on Podsploitation. You can find this show on your podcaster of choice. Contact us on Facebook, on Twitter or Instagram as at Podsploitation or by email to podsploitation.gmail.com. And honestly, any comments, I would love you to drop those in. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you would like to support the show for some ungodden reason, 
Donations can be made at paypal.me slash podsploitation. Theme music is Creation Time by Kilo Cats. Find and purchase their work at the usual three W's and a dot, musicbrass.de. That's music with a K, B-R-A-U-S-E dot D-E. I think you can spell that bit. All other material is for review or illustration only. No claim or infringement is intended, and it remains the copyright of the respective holders. No topless geologists were harmed in the making of this film. I feel very sorry for the geologists that were fully clothed. Podsploitation <laughs> is a moment of mayhem production. Stop the fighting. Stop the fighting now.